Lord Jesus, you are our vision, you are our leader, and we want to follow only you. But we don't always know how. So please open your word and teach us, help us to understand you and know your call in our lives so that we can follow you. Pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Say hello to those of you who are sitting in the narthex. Great to see you. If you've uh, ever been to Italy, you know that finding your way, way around there is next to impossible. There are very few signs. If, if you ask three different people for directions, you'll get three different answers. It's very confusing. In fact, here's a picture of me in Venice trying to figure my way around. For those of you who can't read the signs, they say San Marco Rialto this way, San Marco Rialto this way. Very confused. That's Italy. You ever feel like that in life? Which way am I supposed to go? And there's no clear direction? All of us face decisions all the time. All kinds of decisions. About what jobs we should take. What relationships to be in. How to raise our children. Oy vey, there's a big one, right? Am I being too lenient? Am I being too strict? We have decisions to make about how we should invest our money. Medical decisions we have to make. Decisions about what to do in our retirement years, about where to live. And when we face all of those decisions, we desperately want God to give us some guidance, to tell us what to do. So this morning I want to talk a little bit about how God does that. How does God guide us? How can we know the leading of God in our lives when we have decisions to make? There are a couple of things from this story. The first is that God's guidance in our lives means that we may wander around a bit before God finally makes it clear where he's taking us. In this story, Paul wanders all over Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. All those places he tries to go, they're all east in Asia Minor. Bithynia, Mysia, Troas. And the text says that the Spirit of Jesus stopped him from going into those places. We don't know how. Maybe it was a feeling Paul had. Maybe it was circumstances, lack of funds. We don't know. Finally, he has a dream where God says, go to Macedonia, which is west in modern-day Greece. So he goes. There's a lot of wandering around in this story. I don't know about you, but... Well, I think I do know about you, actually. I think all of us think that God's guidance in our lives means that God should lead us in a straight direction to our destination. No wandering, no wondering about what's going to happen, just straight to where we're supposed to go. God should show up in a burning bush and make it crystal clear to us what he wants us to do, and while he's at it, give us the 10-year plan, right? Not, Not just the next step. We want the whole picture here, God. But you know what? That's not the way things happen in the Bible. There's a lot of wandering in the Bible, a lot of trial and error. Abraham wanders all over Palestine looking for his home. Israel wanders 40 years in the desert looking for the promised land. Jesus and his disciples wander up and down Palestine with seeming no direction. The point is, it's okay to wander until God makes it clear where he's calling us. One of the things I tell people in their 20s regarding career decisions is that they should experiment a little bit. You know, I said, don't, don't make a decision too soon. You have to pay your own bills. But really, your 20s are made for wandering, for exploring. 
Oh, parents hate it when I say that to their kids. Some of you right now may be diving for your teenager's ears. Don't listen to the pastor. He does not speak truth. The point is this. It's okay to wander. Because the goal in life is not to get somewhere. It's to become someone. To become like Jesus. And that's what happens when we wander. Wandering has been too good for too many people for too long to be all bad. Take as an example Israel wandering in the desert for 40 years. And while they wandered, they were developing things that they were going to need. Things like a legal system and an army and a government. All things that slaves in Egypt don't need, but that you need if you're going to be a country. As we wander, we become the people God wants us to be if we wander with Him. And we learn to depend on God, which is the most important thing in life. You know, if God were to show up and make it crystal clear to me how he wanted me to handle every single decision I was going to face in the next 10 years, I would probably forget about him for the next 10 years. You know, maybe check in with him again somewhere around 2014 to get the next installment of my life plan. We upper middle class people love to know exactly where we're going. We love to have the plans. We love to know, for for we know the plans we have for us, right? And we don't like to move unless we have all the details. I certainly don't like to. And that's because that's how we've gotten to where we've gotten, right? That's how we've gotten ahead. We've planned. We planned to go to college. We've planned our businesses. We've planned our retirements. But what's great for business and college and retirement is lousy for faith. The Bible says God's word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And the, the light that the psalmist is talking about, there's a foot lamp. And all it shows is the next step. It's not a searchlight that shows the whole path. By letting us wander, by giving us only one step at a time, God forces us to cling to Him and that builds relationship with Him, which is what life is all about, not arriving at some destination. Our job is to stay close to Him and to keep moving. When Paul couldn't get into all those places, he didn't collapse in a pool of despair. He didn't form a committee to study the situation. He didn't wait till he had all the details before he took the next move. He just stayed close to God and kept moving. And it must have been very frustrating. We're talking about traveling hundreds of miles on foot. It would have taken months, maybe years, getting shut out of all of those places. But he kept moving one step at a time and God got him to the right place. God can steer anything except a stationary object. Our job is to stick with Him and keep moving. It's okay to wander. It's part of faith. The second thing we learn from this story is that when God is guiding us, failure is never fatal. It's directional. Paul didn't feel like a failure just because he had this plan to go to Asia and didn't, couldn't do it. Right? For him, failure was directional. It just meant that he was supposed to go to Macedonia instead. And many a college freshman has learned this principle. You know, they come into college and they're all going to be, they're going to be a doctor and they're so excited about being a doctor. And then, organic chemistry. (laughs) And they all become English majors instead. (laughs) Failure isn't fatal, it's directional. It shows you where to go. I have a friend who was a youth pastor for a while. He inherited a group of of a hundred kids and he preached it down to ten in a year. He's now an adult ministries pastor. (laughs) Doing a very good job. Failure isn't fatal, it's directional, it often leads us to a better place. 
In Paul's case, he was trying to spread Christianity to Asia. But God sent him to Europe instead, which was better. Because you see, if Christianity had gone into Asia, it probably would have been swallowed up in China and lost. But by turning the gospel west, it goes to Greece and then to Rome, the center of the world, where all these roads are, all this commerce, all these cultures mixing, Christianity was able to spread to the whole known world. Failure isn't fatal, it's directional. No to Asia means yes to Europe. No to one job means yes to another, that's better. No to one house means yes to another in a neighborhood where your kids are going to meet a group of friends they're going to really need. When God is guiding, failure isn't fatal, it's directional. Third thing we learn from this scripture is that God's guidance in our lives means that he can make something out of what looks to us like nothing. When Paul arrives in Macedonia, it says he's looking for a place to pray, which means he's looking for a synagogue. But it took ten Jewish men to form a synagogue. And the fact that he finds a group of women indicates that there weren't enough Jewish men in the town to form a synagogue, which in Paul's culture would have seemed like a dead end for the gospel, would have seemed like nothing. No place to preach the gospel, just a bunch of women here. And in that culture, even 10,000 women wouldn't make up a synagogue. So to, to Paul and his culture, this looked like a dead end for the gospel. But what looked like nothing in that culture, to God and to Paul, looked like a great opportunity. That handful of women became the first church in Europe. That's a pretty big nothing. When the gospel goes to Europe, from there to Rome, from Rome to the rest of the world... What looked like nothing, what looked like a dead end for the gospel, was really a big something. And just, by the way, notice how involved women were in ministry here. Just notice. And just throwing that out there, just delighting some of you, irritating others. <laughs> That's my job. So often we think we've reached a dead end in life. But when God is guiding, what may look like a dead end to us turns out to be a huge opportunity. There's a famous Christian speaker named Tony Campolo. Some of you have probably heard of him. He's had a huge influence on a lot of people. And he tells a story of coming across some records from his childhood church from the early 40s. And one entry in that record said, Another bleak year for First Baptist Church. Membership is down. Close the year in the red. Only four kids in the Sunday school. But of those four kids, one became president of a Christian college, another a famous missionary, and the third was Tony Campolo. Not a bad take for one year, huh? When God is guiding, there is no such thing as a dead end. And what looks like nothing to us is a big something to God. Which brings me to my last point. God's guidance in our lives means that we can't confuse hardship with abandonment. <clears throat> this chapter begins with Paul being blocked from his ministry plans. And if you read on to the end of the chapter, it ends with Paul being thrown in prison for preaching the gospel. Now, if I were Paul, well, if I were Paul, I probably would have whined. But, you know, why, why is this happening to me, Lord? <clears throat> I'm just preaching your word. I'm just doing what you said. And now I'm in prison. You see, I think we Americans have this unspoken expectation that if we're following God and doing what he says, then life should be just easy and wonderful and peachy all the time. But that's often not how things are. Often in the Bible, when people follow God, their lives actually get harder. That's not good marketing, I know, but that's how it is. 
But what Paul understands is that hardship does not mean that God has abandoned him, and it doesn't mean that he's missed God's plan. It doesn't mean that he read the signs wrong. Hardship is just another opportunity for God to do something amazing, which he does. He uses Paul to convert the jailer, and and the jailer, who at first beats the tar out of Paul, ends up washing Paul's wounds. And the chapter ends with both Paul and the jailer full of joy. When God leads us, he does so one step at a time, and he may, may let us wander. He uses failure to direct us. He takes what looks like nothing and turns it into something. And even if we encounter hardship, it doesn't mean he's abandoned us. It's just an opportunity for him to do something amazing and bring us joy. That's how God guides. Now, some of you may be thinking, that sounds great, but how do I access his guidance? How do I hear his voice? How do I know what he wants me to do? When I come to a decision, how can I figure out where he's leading? A couple of things. We read the Bible. Because the Bible tells us what God cares about. So that when we face that decision, we can make it based on his criteria, not ours. Second, talk to trusted, wise Christian friends. And third, we pray. Really pray. You know, don't just throw up a show me what to do in Jesus' name, amen, kind of a prayer. But I mean really pray. When I have a major decision to make, I spend at least several hours in prayer, preferably a whole day. But what I do is I sit in a quiet place and I, I read the Bible so I can get God's criteria, God's priorities in my head. I talk with God about what I'm reading and then I just offload everything that I'm thinking. Just anything that comes to mind, I just offload it to God. Steady stream of thoughts. You know, I say, God, I'm worried about this. I'm excited about that. Thank you for this. Help me with that. Oh, I need to remember to pay the electric bill tomorrow. And, oh, i got to make that appointment tomorrow. Just whatever comes to mind, I just offer it to God. Until finally, I don't have any more thoughts and my mind is clear. And then I think about the decision that I have to make. And I remind myself that Jesus is sitting there right there with me, because you can't make a good decision without Jesus. And I just sit there with my decision in his presence. I call it worrying in God's presence. And I just worry in the presence of God. And then I wait for him to say something. And sometimes nothing happens, but then sometimes he speaks. Not in a voice, but in thoughts. Like my thoughts, but different than what I usually think. And moving more quickly across the surface of my mind. And if I get one of those thoughts, then I'll say, Lord, was that you or is that me? And I just kind of dialogue. And I I do this for hours. Now, some of you may be saying, well, that's fine for you. You're a pastor. You can afford to do that. After all, you only work on Sundays. (laughs) No, I work lots of days. Really, I'm busy too. And like you, my mind sometimes wanders when I pray. Pastors are humans. And it's particularly me, I, I was a, I'm a child of my generation, raised on sitcoms and the remote control. The result is spiritual ADD. I can't focus on anything. So this is work for me. But it always pays off. Let me give you an example. For 15 years, my life's dream was to teach theology and culture at Seattle Pacific University. And three years ago, I got the chance to do it. They offered me that job, teaching theology and culture. The timing was perfect. I'd been a college pastor in California for four years. I was about to graduate uh, uh, my first class. It was the perfect time to leave California, come back home to Seattle. 
So I went and I spent a day in prayer and I, I read the Bible, I dialogued with God, I clarified my motives, I listened to hear His voice. And toward the end, God, I had this thought that came into my head and it seemed like God and it said, no, not the right time. So I said, God, that seemed like it might have been you. That was a little bit different. Was that you? And then again, a thought like my thoughts, but not my own, said, yes, that was me. So then I said, funny, Lord, I thought I heard you say no. Did I remind you this is my life's goal? And what am I supposed to do if I say no to this job? What's my next move? What's, what's going to happen to my career? And, I mean, you know I want to go back to Seattle someday, and how's that going to work out if I don't take this choice? Uh, you know, what do you want me to do here, God? Trust you or something? Silence. Didn't say anything. No voice. No thoughts. Just silence. As if God was saying, Scott, I've spoken. Now trust me. So I went home and I called a friend who had been praying for me in this decision. And I I said to him, look, I think I've got a decision here. But before I say anything, I want to know what you think. Before I tell you what I think. I want to hear what you think. And my friend said, Scott, here's what I'm thinking. God is going to call you back to Seattle and soon. But this isn't it. It's something else, and you need to wait for that something else. So I called SPU, and I said, I can't believe I'm going to say this after 15 years, but no thank you. And then a year later, I got a call from this church wanting to know if I'd apply for this job. God guided me. There was no burning bush. There was no writing on the wall, just a subtle voice from God in my head that I never would have gotten to if I hadn't spent that time in prayer. And no, he didn't give me the 10-year plan. There was a lot of wondering and wandering after that as to what my next move was going to be. And that apparent failure to grab the supposedly perfect job wasn't failure at all. It was directional. No to SPU meant yes to here. And I'm so glad I said no to that job. As, as great as it would have been to teach wonderful people like this, I, you know, I discovered after I said no to that that I don't want to be a professor. Professors grade papers. I don't want to do that. That's terrible. I'm cut out to be a pastor. I don't have to grade anything here. And I love being in this church. And God willing, I hope I am here for a long, long time. God. Thank you. God, thank you. I appreciate that. God guides us. But only one step at a time. For those of us who are planners, that's tough. And only if we cling to him. A fellow pastor friend of mine used to be a missionary in the Philippines. One day he and some friends were trying to get to this remote village and they kept looking for a map or at least some directions. But it was so remote that every time they asked someone for directions, they'd get these really local kind of comments. People would say things like, well, there really aren't any signs. So what you have to do is you have to kind of go for a ways and turn right at Joe's hut and then veer a little bit when you get to the tree that was hit, hit by lightning three years ago. And what? It, made, it was all local. It made no sense. So finally one guy said, oh, I can't explain it. I'll just take you there. So he jumped in their Jeep and he started driving them off to the village. And as they went, he'd say things like, you know, there's so-and-so's hut and give a story about so-and-so and there's the tree that was hit by lightning and how'd that happen. And he also explained to them that there were all these swamps and ditches, but they would change with the seasons. So if you didn't know where you were going, you'd get lost. Well, they finally arrived at the village. And my my friend said the whole thing was a little scary, this stranger driving their jeep through the jungle. But he also said it was fun. They had all these great stories. 
They had an adventure. You see, they wanted a map. But what they got was a guide. And the guide was better. Less control, more confusing, but better. So much of the time in life, what we want is a map. But God loves us way more than that, so he gives us a guide. And his name is Jesus. And he's way better than a map. More fun, way more meaningful, and he makes the trip a lot less lonely. Jesus, we want to follow only you. So Lord, be our guide. Show us where you want us to go. And Lord, we will respond one step at a time following you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.